Welcome to the Humanizing Work Show, where we explore themes related to humanizing work, including leadership, teams, collaboration, and motivation. If you're a regular listener, you know agile software development is a common topic for us, but the application of humanizing work goes way beyond software. Today, we're super excited to be joined by Lee McCormick. Lee's best known for his expertise in mountain biking. He's a world-class bike coach, the author of several books on mountain biking, and the inventor of Ripro, a cool-looking piece of exercise equipment that makes its users better at biking and a variety of other sports with similar body mechanics. Now, Lee's joining us on the Humanizing Work Show, not exactly because of biking, but because he's one of the best coaches I know in any discipline, and he's been a big influence on my coaching. And as I'm sure we'll get to later in this conversation, even when Lee is working with someone on their biking, it's not really fundamentally about the bike. It's about broader skill development and personal development with the bike as the medium. So we're going to dig into how Lee approaches coaching and skill development, and particularly what business coaches and leaders can learn from this. Mm. Some background, I first hired Lee to help me with my mountain biking about 12 years ago. And then he went on to coach my whole family. I coached him a bit on his businesses. We became friends and collaborators. And then last year, I invited Lee to lead a session at our Humanizing Work Conference on coaching and skill development. And man, he delivered. Many participants said it was one of their favorite sessions of the whole conference. So we are thrilled to introduce Lee to our larger Humanizing Work community here on the show today. Lee, welcome to the Humanizing Work Show. Thanks, you guys. It's really always good to see you guys. Beautiful. Let's dive right in. Uh, Lee, you've had multiple, sometimes overlapping careers, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and illustrator, bike coach, of course, founder and CEO of a product company with Ripro. You've worked in the software business, you've written books, you've created videos, I could keep going. But what's the thread through all of these things? Now, that's a good question. Um, you know, the thread is, has always been um, discovering essential truth. And then communicating it. That's always been the thread. So when I was an informational graphics artist at a you know pretty good sized daily newspaper, that was a cycle that would happen several times a day. It was a really beautiful kiln for thinking. Because some this is before the internet. So a story would cross the wire. I'd have a few hours to figure it out and boil it down to a graphic that big. You know, back then we had a telephone and we had the World Book Encyclopedia, you know. And um, and that was really good, you know, and just again, like to to see what's at the bottom of whatever the story is and express it so someone could be flipping through and get it. And and then and then and then moving on into designing software, let's say, um, for one of the bigger dot coms back in the day. It's the same idea. It's like, what's what does the user need here? You know what I mean? And of course, for a lot of years there, I was the guy, you know, a lot of UX people identify as like you have the crazy CEO and the crotchety engineers and customers. And I was the person in the middle of that, right? To try to create solutions. But it but I always found that to be like a more complicated version of the same essential process of like, what's this, what's important? How do we make it simple? And then as a coach, as a writer, as an author, it's been, it's been continually building the skill set to perceive things and perceive the essence of things. And then to be able to express that beautiful truth, I think, in the most elegant ways I can. I think that's the key. And, and even I'll say this, even when I was a downhill racer, a mountain bike downhill racer, and I was a motocrosser too, it was like, 
and, and, and it was really kind of a cognitive process that was similar, honest to goodness. It was like you have what appears to be this randomly violent course. You're projecting an enormous amount of kinetic energy down this thing with danger. If you mess up, you can get very hurt. But again, it was it was to find it within all that chaos and confusion to find the simplicity and to create beauty. And I think that's been a really common, common theme for me. Lee, how do you think then of the role of a coach? Is it different or is it really the same thing? <laughs> you, know, you said it. I, I think I think it's it's pretty much the similar idea. It's like you're working with your person or your team. Let's go person, right? And you have a sense for what this person needs or is ready for. You actually, a good coach can probably see 10 levels, 10 steps ahead, I think. But but the coach is also good at understanding what the next step is, the, the one they can handle. And then to to understand and then yeah, to make it as simple as they can. Sometimes I think a coach can just lay down a um, pathway. Hey, follow these steps. They generally work, right? And then of course, when they're following the steps, things come up. They can ask the Socratic question to get the person to reflect, you know what I mean, and kind of guide them there. And then, of course, often we don't know what the path is until we get there. And you're just kind of there to um, to be to be the person's altered mind, to see things the other person doesn't see. That's something that Richard's always done for me. Like, I'll talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And he'll throw three or four words at it. And I'll be like, oh, Right. Let me rethink that, you know, huh. and that's, that's, that's a role too. Right. Yeah. I think there's something to seeing the person that you're with when you coach that you're particularly good at. I remember a time when Don and I, my wife, um, we were both preparing for racing slalom at the Sea Otter Classic, yep. which was a big race for us and an early season race. So you don't have a ton of time to train after the snow here in Colorado. Yep. And I remember you coaching both of us on the same discipline, on the same course, and interacting totally differently with each mm -hmm. of us. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but um, if you do, yeah. what was your mental model for that coaching move? How were you thinking about interacting with each of us? Well, honestly, you know, when I'm doing it well, I'm not thinking, man, I'm feeling it, right? Um, I've done the work <sighs> to know the patterns of, of mountain biking and of humanity. I've done the work. And so, as we all know, we're best when we kind of forget it and go intuitively. And you and Don are different people, right? You just have different personalities. And so just working with you to help you get to your next place, you need different cues. You need a different, you need a different approach with you. Like we can be analytical. We need to be analytical. You need to understand it. We need to whiteboard it out. And then I, and then with you, I'll find subtle ways, subtle ways to get you out of your mind and more embodied. Right. I think that's kind of how we've been working together through cycle after cycle after cycle on the bike. Don, of course, is a little different. Um, Don, um, I think she needs to be thrust out of her mind into her body a little bit more aggressively. And that's what I found with her. And, and, and she doesn't need the detailed whiteboard anal analytical approach. She's a pretty embodied athlete as it is. And, and so with her, I'm, I'm actually pointier with her than I am with you, aren't I? I'm a little pointier and I'm a little bit more aggressive with her. And I'll just say, Shh, just stop. The timer's running, go. And for her, for her, that's the cue to go into a flow state, to get out of her brain, 
right? With you, because I think you are like, your architecture is more analytical, let's say, than hers is. I'll say it that way. We got to go to the same place, but it, but it, it, it's a more of a gentle off-ramp, I feel. And so honestly, like in those moments, it's, 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 it's me absolutely having some mastery of my craft. Of course, I'm better now. We're always getting better. But I had some level of mastery that day. And I had some level of awareness of myself as an entity that day. And I had a knowledge of each of you. And those all came together kind of in a flowy way. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that exact instance? Like, uh, I get the theory or kind of the mental model of how you approached it differently. How did that manifest on that day, on that mountain, coaching for that race? Great. Okay, great. So so we are at the Belmont Bike Park here in Boulder with a beautiful professional grade slalom track. They are about to go to the Sea Otter Classic for all of you people who don't know about mountain bike stuff. That is the premier race in North America. That's the biggie. Everybody's there. It's also the biggest um, festival. I think they get 30,000 people there. And that slalom track is, I think, the marquee event of being a mountain bike racer. Isn't it a singular moment, Richard, to come over that hill? And there's just people yelling. And it's just incredible, right? And, yeah. and, and so coming out of that gate, there's nothing like it. Just pure intent, right? Yeah. Pure intent. And that's, oh, I, I actually broke my chain on my first practice run that year. Yeah. Because it was just a level of intensity that I'd never done. Like in the gate, that very first pedal stroke was more than the bike could handle. That's fair. <laughs> which is you're the intensity of the moment. We're yeah, you're a for. big, strong dude. And in practice, you had never gone to that place of neuromuscular ac activation. But beep, 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 sir. Yeah, I snapped a gate. Yeah, that's what happens, right? So, so what we were doing, Peter, is we were on like a proxy for that track in a quiet situation. And so with, with, with Richard, let me see if I can be really specific. With Richard... It's a matter of mastering the patterns, the physical patterns. Um, I would say, I hope I can say this, like, like Richard is more of a natural intellect, let's say, where Dawn is more of a natural athlete. Yeah, I'll she's the real of, athlete in the family. Uh, not real, different. It's a different <laughs> she, is, she is the intuitive athlete in the family. Fair enough. But, but keep in mind, right, like, like all the paths can go to the same place, right? And you know my story. It took me forever to qualify for that race. I was a beginner. I couldn't even make the beginner class. And I'm watching these guys who I consider to be my heroes winning the pro class. Guess what? We're all over 50. We are now peers. And I'll get in the gate with the dude. I'll, I'm always crying. It's a big deal to be in the gate with this guy who you were like idolized on the cover of the magazine. And I'd execute him and he sh shakes your hand and sends you on your way. It's a powerful experience. So anyway, but you guys are different sorts of athletes. So then with Richard, it's, it's giving him the deep confidence through his intellect that, look, if you do this situ thing with your handlebar over every single bump, every single time, you're safe. And of course, there's a, there's a relationship between intellect and number of reps it takes. <laughs> and it's a big number for Richard, right? And then what we'll do with Richard is I'll very gradually say, okay, go faster. And then he's got really beautiful long limbs. So I say, now remember, Richard, the longer your range of motion and the faster you move, the faster you can gobble up these shapes. It's like the game Guitar Hero in that way. And so, and, and, and with Richard, it's generally been pretty methodical, step by step by step by step by step, with 
And then I'll go, all right, Richard, just chase me. And I'll go about 4% faster than he thinks he can go, which we all know is kind of like the magical flow. And then next thing I know, I hear a guy on my wheel and it's him. And he's a happy dude, right? Um, with with Dawn, um, once I know she has the pattern, okay, let me say this. Richard is able to execute at a pretty high level while still using his intellect. And I think my guess is that's because that's how Richard has constructed his, his life, right? And then we can kind of step a little bit out of it and then go to the magic and, and, and find flow. With Dawn, she's much more embodied, in my opinion. And, 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 and her intellect, when she starts to worry, is very much in the way. So where I'm like, well, okay, Richard, you know, the angle change is 18 degrees here. Now, the distance between your feet and your hands on your mountain bike is 84 centimeters. You have to move your hands 20 centimeters on each bump. He's like, got it over and over and over and over and over. And it gets faster and it's highly effective. That's his path, right? Dawn is like, all right, Dawn, just go as fast as you can. And sometimes I'll fuss at her. Sometimes I'll fuss at Dawn, generally not in front of Richard, but I'll fuss at her when it's the two of us to get her a little, little bit emotional and a little bit more in her body. And that's the path for her. At the end, we're all at the, at the bottom of the track. Everybody's safe. Everybody's executed their level. It's just a different way. And she actually did go on to podium at that race in the, the amateur class after breaking her finger at her first run. So I think there was a, a lot of what you taught her actually showed up in the it's race. Pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. And it wouldn't be surprised me that she goes out and breaks something and then goes ahead and, you know, flourishes anyway. That sounds like her. Well, one time I was coached. So there's a guy I used to work with on the bike. He was a physician and he was trying to position himself as like this naturopathic guy with his side business. And he was trying to get published. He's trying to get published. And, and I was doing a Zoom call. I coach on Zoom and on in real life. And he was kind of kvetching that he'd been trying to write these articles. He'd spend months on them and they get rejected because they just weren't well written, you know. So I said, well, you want me to coach you on how to write? Sure. So we did another call. I, we, we worked through his story that he wanted to say. I coached him on the cognitive model of writing. I said, are you good to go? And he's like, no, man. Last time it took four months. And I was like, it's one o'clock. I got to go coach at two. I expect a draft. And I hung up. I hung up. <laughs> Guess what came in at 150? A perfect draft, one typo published. So that's the guy who'd been thinking long enough and had to be pressed. Where'd you learn that? Did, did you have mentors or models of people that were great coaches in your life? I've never had a coach until now. Mm -mm. This is intuition, I suppose, or just past lives or however we quantify these things. And as a kid, you know, I, 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 Richard knows the story. I, I got, I was blessed with some years in a Catholic military academy. And I think I learned a lot about leadership there the hard way because that place was Lord of the Flies slash Taps. And um, most of the company commanders ruled through intimidation and violence. But I was smaller and last to um, puberty. So I just had to kind of learn how to work with people differently. And I think a lot of it started as a kid. That for some people could uh, crush them. It, it sounds like it was like a, a breeding ground for who you are today. I, like er, as long as I've known you, Lee, you're a force of positivity, high energy, pure motivation. 
I'm wondering where that comes from and it, whether that's changed over time. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good, thank you, by the way. Thank you for that. You know, I'm at the point in my life, I'm middle-aged-ish, you know, where I'm, re, I'm remaking, I'm going through another round as a human being. I'm remaking myself again. And I'm using, I, I've just had both shoulders replaced. I wore them out from mountain biking. Um, there's mechanical reasons for that, but mostly emotional self-destructive reasons. Let's be clear. Low self-esteem, the need to please other people, the need to be the national champion, which I was. Good for me, right? Um, I'm really going through trying to remake some of these habits. So I come out cleaner and more useful to myself and everybody, right? I, I think that, honestly, I, I think that that positivity, that energy, that desire to be of service, um, to, to, to help, teach, learn, is intrinsic to me. I think it's just intrinsic. And, and, and one, one, one thing, I, when I work with my clients, right, I'll ask them, you know, because most of us don't have contact with our intuitive voice. We've never heard it. Or the voice of God, however you look at these things, it's all the same, right? Most of us don't have access to it, and, and, and we're just stuck in noise. And so maybe one of the things we can ask ourselves is like, all right, well, look at your whole life, right? No matter what happened, things that you consider to be really tough, things that you consider to be really hard, really horrible experiences. Every day you woke up, who were you? Did you wake up bitter and like, or did you wake up like, wow, that was hard, but man, what am I going to do today? And, 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 and when I look back, I've always, no matter what my situation was, even at like military academy, I was like, well, I got to shine my shoes. I'm going to shine them. I'm the bugler. I'm going to play Reveille so clean this time. And I think that's just inherent to, 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 to me on this round. If you believe in incarnation and that sort of thing, I think that's inherent to me. I can't, I don't think I can take credit. I don't think I own it. I think I uh, have access to it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and 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 you asked about how it's changed. This that that's that's the nut of the question. So I'll say this. Um, I'm 53 today. Okay, here we go. So, for for a lot of the decades, I'd say I was driven by that energy. I was driven and pushed by it. Right, like can't sit still, won't sit still, can't handle quiet. Always creating, always driving, and and I think. There was definitely the desire for truth and beauty that's always been in me, 100%. But there's also been like a, a need, an absolutely almost existential need to do. Because let's be clear, to not do, to be in that quiet space felt horrible to me, right? Not unusual. I'm not, I didn't invent any of these things. It's just my turn to say it and, and live it. As life has progressed, let's say, as I've been blessed with the opportunity to let my ego die and turn to ash and just follow the classic archetypal story of the phoenix and rebuild, right? Like I joke, I was a house built in 1969. So as I rebuilt, uh, we don't need wet bars. That's out. The, the shag carpet's out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, and I can leave away like some of the moat that I had around me to separate me from everybody else. Right. And I can create like a quieter internal environment. And and what's happening there, if this is the coolest paradox ever, 
And of course you could, you could see it on a bicycle, um, Richard. And I know you're an ultra runner, Peter. Like, I know, you know, this, we all know this from our different things that we do. It's like from that quiet, from that peace, you start to understand that that amorphous darkness that you thought was terror, that you thought was hell, isn't. I call it the every nothing. I call it the instant eternity. Heaven, whatever you want to call it. That field is, is I think, around all of us. And it's a source of peace and inspiration both. And when we can connect to that, we're not living with so much noise. We're not having, I was like 26 with a freaking ulcer. It's crazy. And I had fibromyalgia diagnosed back then. All that's gone now, right? And so, so what I can say is I still have that desire to create truth and beauty. I have access to more horsepower than I've ever had access to. But it's not a need. It's not a, I have to do this or else I feel like crap anymore. It's a, I feel pretty good. And I want to go make something awesome. And I want to go serve somebody. That's the biggest change for me. It's, it's beautiful. And I think the quality of what I'm doing feels better. I was talking to a friend recently, and <clears throat> she was talking about how she was trying to get out of that got to do, got to do, got to do, got to do, got to do. And just pondering, like, why? Why can't I just stop for a minute? And as we were talking about it, I said, oh, you're in the mindless pursuit of pursuit. Yeah. Like, what happens if you just sit still? You described it as you had to let the ego burn to let that rise from the ashes. Hmm. I'm wondering, <laughs> that sounds drastic to me. Like if I'm talking to a friend like that, who's like, I don't know how to do it. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying it. I'm wondering if, can you, can you rep your way into that? Or do you got to let it burn down? That's a, what a beautiful question. Uh I'm going to quote one of my favorite spiritual teachers. Her name is Teal Swan. Teal Swan. She's great. And she goes, you know, I'd love to say there's another way other than suffering, but mm, haven't seen it. But, but I do think you can wrap your way into these things for sure, just like being a cyclist or a runner. Um, if, if you will, I'm a new runner. I don't know if I, you know, I, when I got the shoulders replaced, I decided to become a runner. I've been a runner for six months now. And I can go out for a half hour. It feels great, you know? And I've been really, really, really gradual with it. Like a lot of one miles in 20 minutes in the beginning. It's walking, right? And I suppose if you're going to rep into it, then what you're going to do, and, and we, we talk a lot about thin slices, right? Like you can slice anything thin enough to get a win, can you not? So then maybe if you're just not used to being still, maybe you just set a timer for, I don't know, 10 minutes. Whatever comes through, talk to it. And then maybe the next day is 12. I mean, that's a, that's a way. That's a way. And it's a lot more palatable than um, ego death. Ego death is not much fun. Nope, 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 nope. Not fun. Those liminal states too. Like I'm in a little bit of one with my work right now because like I – I literally tore my body apart. I wore the, the cartilage off 20 years ago off both sides. In the intervening 20 years, during which I was a national champion, I took over an inch, inch and a half of bone off my shoulders. 
I wore it down that much, like massive self-destruction. I will not do that again. I will not do that again. Now, I have created an identity for myself as Mr. Alpha Badass Mountain Bike Bro, right? And I need to give it up. <laughs> it needs to stop. And it's uncomfortable, man. And, 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 and when I'm in this stage of like, I don't want to be what I was, I can't. But I don't have the full thing baked in yet. That's a scary place. And we know most men will just go back, won't they? So, so I feel like if you want to rep your way into these sorts of growth, I think the way to do it is just like starting anything is, is like small doses, right? Minimum effective dose, build, 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 build. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. I'm, I'm thinking about like uh, your story with just running a little bit longer every day or the advice to just set the 10 minute timer. That 10 minute timer allows you to experience discomfort in the same way that running a little bit longer, you experience the discomfort and then you know at the end of it, you're going to be okay. You know you're safe. Yeah. And so I think, if, if, yeah, you can skill drill that a little bit, right? Like yep. how uncomfortable yep. can I be and still feel safe? Fair enough. That's beautiful. And, and so like you said it beautifully, it's like we all love movies. Most of us do. Like some one of the inherent parts of being a human is stories and games. Is that fair to say? Stories and games. They've been going on for freaking ever. And so we all three can play Dungeons and Dragons, let's say. Of course, the dungeon master is going to be Richard. He's in charge. Right. And, and we all kind of take this construct on. And I, I, I used to play when I was interned in St. Catharines. I had a little dwarf named Kerchak. He was like my man, right? And so we go into a world where Kerchak's in danger and you're feeling all these things. But we know in a couple hours it's over. So we can experience these things and leave. So I think you're right. Like set the timer, right? And I think it's less terrifying. And, and one thing I've started doing, well, this is, this is, life's funny. So I was always compelled to figure stuff out and, and take complicated, scary, terrible things and make them simple and create processes to master them. I've done it with cycling in a very big way and, um, and mountain biking specifically. But years and years ago, I realized I'd lost the, my, my mind. I was in a bad spot, you know, like the worst kind of depression. And I realized it and I was like, oh, right. All this skill I developed is not to help Richard corner better, although I think that's beautiful, Richard. You, you corner, bro. It was to save myself. And I applied the same exact principles, Peter, to remaking my own psyche, which was just to take a very simple thing. For example, a lot of us have negative self-talk. Well, everybody, pretty much. So in the beginning, it was so bad. It was changing how I saw the world. So it's like 200 times a day, something negative would cross the transom and say, that's not true. Replace it with something useful and true. 160 times a day, 40 times a day. Now, almost never. Most, and we all get triggered, right? But, but maybe that's it. Like, rep it out. And you know what? That's a good case for a coach, right? Because wouldn't the coach be the person who sort of like manages the doses? Manages the doses and I think also manages the reason for the doses, right? Because I think a lot of times we come up with strategies to avoid discomfort. Like what strategies do I need to take as a runner or as a, as a mountain biker to not feel uncomfortable? And the real goal is how do I get more comfortable with being uncomfortable? Thank you. Yeah. And also 
I found it actually very useful. And I, and I do this with the people I work with as their coach. I'll say, all right, like we're cornering right now. You're terrified of cornering, but I want you to really consider and think and tell yourself, I was terrified of cornering. I've been injured in corners and I followed a process and now I'm great at corners and I love corners. And you tell yourself actively, the, the, the parts of me that learned to do this have nothing to do with mountain biking. They are universal. And if I can learn this, I can do anything. And I think it, it can't hurt, bro, just to make the conscious. And so that's a, that's a coach thing. Like, like maybe you're working with me and you know I've got this big talk, a TED talk, and I'm freaking out about it. You can go, hey, Lee, dude, we just ran 10 miles. Wow. You were so good. You were so solid. And you never broke form. Imagine how you're going to be when, you know what I'm saying, on your TED Talk. Like, I think that's a great role for a coach. It's like, I, I, think, I think one of the things that we all tend to forget is the power of the why and why we're doing these things and how portable all these skills are. Uh, Lee, one of the things that I've seen you do really well in your coaching is create a, an environment or a context for somebody to practice something that they wouldn't do naturally. And the, one of those things that comes to mind is your, your joy ride rules, mm. uh, which really resonated with people at our conference. You want to explain what that is and how that works? Sure. So, um, this comes from my work with people out in the field. And, um, when you're out mountain biking on crazy terrain, let's say, um, <laughs> all pretense goes away. <laughs> whatever your character is that you do these guys show up in their big trucks and they're so blustery and macho well three four hours in when you're scared we'll find the little the broken little boy will come out right and 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 and, and i will never forget this the, the day this happened like one of my clients we'll call him justin he's highly analytical and he's doing great. We're out Saturday in Moab for one of our three-day camps. He had a transcendent day. He had a transcendent day. Oh, my gosh. He was doing it. Perfect. He came by. We're having our, like our coaches meeting. We always assess what we do. We're talking about how great he was doing. He drives up. We say, dude, that was awesome. And he goes. Then I get an email from the poor guy. Lee, I need you to be honest. Am I always going to suck at mountain biking? Is that the, the most transcendent day I've ever seen the guy have? Like, just be honest. I've spent thousands of dollars. Blah, 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 I'm all, and I was just like, whoa. And I got on the phone with the guy. And, and what was coming out was his in, just basic lack of self-efficacy and self-love. That's what it was. It's like the, the pervasiveness of his negative thinking overpowered a pure flow experience that day. And so, and so like um, day three, we'll take people on a really, really big, technical, physical, dangerous, serious ride. And we'll do an invocation at the top, right? A prayer, right? And this came out. I said, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do today. And then the joy ride rules were born. So here we go. Rule one. And, and, and like, as you know, Richard, this is great in like an agile team or anywhere, right? And rule one, if you see something cool, say something. Be as specific and positive as you can. So I'll use bikes. So good would be, hey, Richard, that was awesome. Better would be like, Peter, that way that corner was awesome. Man, that was sweet. Best, Richard, I saw your tires start to drift. And when I, you loaded your feet, your bike hooked up. That was glorious. Mm. Okay, that's rule one. These get harder as we go. 
hopefully you're, you've been practicing looking to other people and complimenting other people in specific and positive ways. Then we go to the next level, which is 1B. If you're by yourself and you do something cool, you got to compliment yourself. Man, and I call it a proclamation of awesome. If you, if you watch my YouTube stuff, I'm always saying stuff. Man, I'm good at this. Oh, that's sweet. A, if you're proclaiming your radness, you cannot ruminate on your badness. Is that fair to say? <laughs> Not possible, dude. <laughs> right? So you're getting used to complimenting other people and yourself. Right? And you, it's a skill. Rule two, you have to accept compliments. No self-deprecation. I'm sorry, no, no deflections permitted. Like, you know, like someone gives you a pearl. Don't say, nah, 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 and drop it in the mud. That's not cool. Accept the compliment. That's hard. I mean, so many, I can only speak to men mostly because that's what I am. So many men, honestly, they might bristle on the outside, but they feel more comfortable if I say, Peter, dude, you suck. What are you doing? That feels more familiar than me to say to you, Peter, you are a perfect slice of, of infinite perfection. Ergo, you two are infinitely perfect. Like you don't know what to do with that, right? But we, but we accept the compliments. And the third, boy, now it gets real. No self-deprecation is permitted out on the trail. No self-deprecation. Only positive self-talk comes out of your mouth. Oh, boy. Whew. I'm getting better at it. I was with one of my coaches who used to work for me, and I asked him one day. I was like, so, dude, how am I doing with that? He's like, honestly, normal day. 18, 20 self-deprecating comments come out of your mouth. Seriously, dude? Seriously? It's that burned into us. And the next day I got away with one. And now it's closer to zero. A is completely socially acceptable, right? B, I'm looking at you two. It's a way for high-functioning people to hide in plain sight. To not threaten the sheep because they don't like people who seem smarter and more confident than them. So we hide. And in these, in these camps and in these situations, we don't allow it. And um, we, we only speak positively about ourselves. And once you can get the hang of that, then we go into the self-talk, like the internal, right? Which like I, like I mentioned before. And then, and then sometimes those are the basic joyride rules. And then they're awesome. And, and if you can just do it in your riding group, Riding groups are perfect because it's voluntary and it's discreet. And what we always, and, and that weekend, we did it for the whole day. People were stoked. They all took it home. And if it works for you, you take it home, you take it to work. And, and our crews and my riding crews, we play a game with it. And, and one of the reasons that we talk smack on ourselves, one of the reasons we do this is it feels better if I say it, Peter, before you say it. Right. We, 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 we insult ourselves before you can insult us. And it just feels better in a weird way. So what I'll do for the person who's incalcitrant, that's my word of the day, is I'll say, all right, Richard, I know what you're doing. We're going to play a game. You're going to compliment you before I can. You're going to beat me to it. We're going to do reverse male bro culture smack talk rules. <laughs> we're gonna race to the compliment we're gonna race to it and if you're not if it doesn't come out of your mouth i'm gonna beat you to it 
And and it's interesting just to tweak how we think. And and like and with the guys I travel with, dude, like you can choose your story. As long as it works and doesn't hurt anybody, it's a good story. So what we'll do is like, because you know, guys often will just talk smack on each other and, and poke and poke. I hate that. I think it's massively toxic. It's bad for everybody. So my friend, my, one of my coworkers and I, we were on a long road trip and we played the game of anti-smack talk, of compens- complimenting your fellow brother so vehemently that he just can't take it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Lee, I got to tell you, man, I, I came across this clip recently of John Cena, the, the wrestler, and, and he's doing the same thing. He says, I call it, I call it positive smack talk. But they use the same tone and gestures that they would do like if they were talking smack in the ring. And so, yeah, like right up in your face, Lee, you're the most positive, awesome person I've ever seen. Now, what are you going to do about that? Right? (laughs) It's it's fantastic. It's it's so cool. It's so cool. It's beautiful. And the book that's keeping me awake right now, that kept me awake last night, that's coming out of me, the working title is Bros. It's just going to be a big sans serif, all caps, ugh, black, B-R-O-S. One nerd's journey from non-bro to bro to alpha bro to anti-bro, something like this. <laughs> and it's going to be about this stuff, this, this male cultural stuff that we do and, and kind of get into like what's useful about it, what's toxic about it, and how we can take these very, very, very normal human needs we have to set up dominance hierarchies and function with them and with them and you know play games with that, but make it positive, you know, and make it serve us. And of course, to serve self is to serve others is to serve all, I think. Well, Lee, what I see you doing with the the joyride rules in that story and, and really anytime you use that sort of thing now is you're not shying away from the, the authority and power that you have as a coach, you're using it to create a space where your clients can try on a new way of being. And mm-hmm. if it's weird, they I just get to blame it on Lee. Cause he, he told me this is the game we're playing right it's now. Weirdo. And so you're, totally. you're not shying away from the power you have there. You're using it for, the good of the group. Thank you. I, um, I, man, man, I love you're just, you truly are a special human being, my brother. You really are. Dang it. That's yeah. Thank you. Thank you and, uh, I, I cannot stand another day being less than what I am. I, I can't do it. I won't do it. I'll waste the time, man. I've been hiding too long, too long. Right. And, and, and you, you know how I am, right? So last time we were in Moab, right? A bunch of these people show up, 14 people, strangers. They just think they're going to learn how to corner and hit a jump or something. Right? They show up, we're in the parking lot. And I go, all right, everybody, welcome. And, like, and you're right, I own it. And it's interesting, especially guys, especially the, the, the guys who are at the top of their dominance hierarchies, the CEOs, the military officers. I, I see all these guys. Like they're missing some of this in their lives, I think. And so they'll show up. I'll say, all right, welcome. Yeah, Peter, you'll learn to corner. Don't worry. We'll get to that. Yes, Richard, you're going to throw a big steezy whip off a 100-foot jump. That's going to happen. But 
a 230, if, if you all follow the rules, the joyride rules, and play along, and I say, I say, if you want to be the most selfish person here and get the most of this experience, you need to play the joyride rules. You need to give love. You need to give, give, give. You're going to get 10x back. This is not a zero-sum game. This is an infinite-sum game that we play. Mm-hmm. And I and I say it, and I say it like with authority. I say at 2.37 tomorrow afternoon, depending on your perception of how the world works, we're all going to slip into a glorious flow state together, group flow state, or you're going to see your version of God. However you look at it, it's fine. Okay, fine. Next day, one of the most gruff alpha Eastern European CEO bros is not listening to me. He's trying to show off. He's doing dangerous things. I pull him aside, just the two of us. I go, look, dude, not to look up, right? Hey, <laughs> hey, listen to me. I go, look, man, you are not doing what I say. You are not following the rules here, and you make a choice. You either are out of here, and I'll prorate your, your thing, or you ride with us, and you do exactly what I tell you no more. And by the way, this thing where I pay you a compliment, and you you dismiss it no more. I tell them, I say, you have, you are not qualified to criticize your mountain bike. And that's my job, right? <laughs> that's my job. Right. And, and if I'm not giving you criticism, you are a perfect rainbow of love. Right? I said something like that, this guy. And he's like, okay, yes, sir. And he's, and then we're going and we're riding. Um, it's Alaska trail up in Klondike bluffs, beautiful, rocky flow, just gorgeous, gorgeous. Sine wave of love, right? Full Jedi stuff. And I hear him go, oh, wait, wait, wait. And he stops. And he's got his elbows on the bar. And he is having the cry he's been holding in for 20 years. That one. He's having the cry. He's having the cry. And he's like, damn you, Lee. You're not just teaching me about biking, are you? And I said, no, sir. Um, I don't charge that much for biking. This is extra stuff. And he's like, whoa, you're teaching me how to live. And everybody's like, yeah. And then one of the bros on the back of the group, no kidding, goes, hey, it's 2.37. <laughs> all i am is a vessel i can't do this but you're right thank you for observing that like and what i'm understanding and this goes to the joyride rules it serves nobody to to, to diminish ourselves if if i'm your coach you need me to know what i'm doing and stand in my authority and you need to trust me that i'm being honest and managing your safety right and, and so more and more, like, I love what you said. I love it. It's like, I, I do. I stand in this authority, in this gentle, loving authority that I have. So building on that, Lee, you've had extensive experience coaching a lot of different people in a, a lot of different settings. Uh, what, what other advice do you have for coaches and leaders who are trying to help people develop, particularly in a business context? Well, um, I think the biggest thing I can say that's massively portable and useful is work on yourself, is, is understand you, right? And, and to, as much as you can, understand what your ego is useful for, your sense of self. You know, I'm Lee freaking McCormack, that, that, that part of you. It has its place. That's the place that says, I'm going to go get advanced coach training and own it. Like, that's useful, right? But also know when to set it aside. And I think do the, the work, the internal work, so you can be quiet. 
enough to really connect with your people. And, and, and I, and I believe this, like I see this in different, different areas. It's like, like my, my partner is, is, is a really high level body worker and yes, she's mechanically and technically the best around, but she's also a deeply embodied soul. So when you're with her, you feel seen, you feel heard, you feel understood. And I think that's where like the nitty gritty coaching happens. And I think, and unfortunately that's like the hardest stuff for a person to do, but I think that's kind of, I think, I think that's a place most people are afraid to go. And I think that is, that's a setting low ceilings for most people, coaches too. I'll, I'll try and channel it. Cause I don't think I believe it, <laughs> but um, I, th- I think what I pick up is that, come on, this is work. Like we're, we're here to make a dollar. We're here to increase profits. Right. And how, how is that related to like getting the work done? Because like you said, man, it's painful. It takes work. It takes time. It takes effort. And from like a broader human development perspective, I think people get it. Yeah, I can see how that would be useful to me as a human. But when I'm at work, if I go up and and, uh, and express vulnerability to the people that report to me, then they're not going to trust me anymore. I, I, I don't see how... I don't see how uh, I can really do this type of practice at work. What's your response to that kind of, I I, I don't know if you agree that that theme exists in the business world. Well, it exists in the mountain bike world too, dude. Yeah. It's human nature. Right. And and I feel like, I feel like that ego part of us, that part that only exists to keep us separate and safe. Right. Um, Hates quiet, hates quiet. What would my ego do if I realized that Richard and I are completely equal human beings with different skill sets? <laughs> How would I manage myself? You know what I'm saying? Um, a lot of us have a hard time releasing that, right? And so, okay, let me go to bikes. So, like, one thing I like about teaching people on the bicycle is it's voluntary and it's discreet. And it's just bikes. It's not that big a deal. And, and you can prove to somebody I mean, Richard knows as well. We've been here that like getting you to relax and have some faith and and feel the joy and the love and just get in my wake of joy and inhale the pixie dust makes you faster, doesn't it? I mean, it's obvious, isn't it? And so, and so maybe, maybe like, and so then like if I were to, if, if I were your business coach, you're mine, <laughs> um, then we could take that lesson across. And so one of the things I've been curious about doing is these embodied experiences with business leaders where a, they're just out of their mind, they're in their bodies, they're, they're, they're doing a, a, like a community thing and they can start to see and feel in their bodies that releasing that, that like false sense of self and need to control and stuff like that actually leads to success. And maybe that's a way to rep that out. I mean, what do you think? I think the the thing that might make it harder in a business context is that often the results you get take a long time because I've seen this happen on teams on business teams but on a business team like like you said with a bike squad it's like everybody's there voluntarily we're hanging out for a couple hours or we're hanging out for a few days and then we go away with a business team I may not have chosen to be on that team I might have chosen the assignment to work on this product. And so you have people who are kind of thrown together. Uh, only uh, s- 
by one definition, is it voluntary, right? Because I, yes, I, I volunteer to stay working here, but maybe sometimes grudgingly or it feels like an obligation, right? Um, right. And so sometimes it takes a long time to feel the pixie dust. And I've, I've 100% felt it on work teams, right? We feel right. it on the humanizing work team, but in big companies, it's taken a while to build and it's fleeting, like, because tomorrow there might be a reorg and these people that I've just spent years learning to love and work with, now they just all went to different teams and now I'm, I'm in a new family all of a sudden, right? So mm. it feels like it's longer, like a longer lead time to get the payoff, right? And the payoff uh, is the thing that reinforces it. And I, and I think what you're describing, like in this Moab trip is like in two to three days, almost everybody feels it and it's yeah, motivating it's, it's, enough to give up. Totally. So let me ask the question. Um, I, I learned the, the term thin slice from that dude up in the corner right there, that guy. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, yeah. So like, well, I've written a bunch of books. I've written 11 books. Like, <laughs> that's hard. Well, the first one will get you. I gave myself shingles. <laughs> like I had survived daily newspapers and the dot-com without shingles. And then I start, and I quit to write a book, <laughs> then I knew what stress was, right? You, you can't write a book. You write a lot of, of short essays that kind of go together. So I want to, uh, so, so like I was doing, I was, I tried my best to do like a corporate thing like you guys do pretty recently. Right. And you could just tell the CEO is just like, they got to have fire in their belly. I'm like, why? Well, I want to make $500 million next year. And I just moved into a $4 million house. And all I can say is I'm mad that it's not eight. He wanted them to have fire in their bellies to serve him. That's what it was. And, 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 I, and we all freaking knew it. So the way I, and I'm going to ask, the, I'm going to pose this as a question. Right. Like if, if, if a year is too long for a human to even plan or, or to, so how can we make every day? No, sorry. Every interaction pleasant right and and one thing that i love is the freaking joyride rules because i could be having a garbagey day but if i go you know man um i love i love the way those speakers behind you peter they look like rabbit ears kind of that's cool i just gave myself a little smile and a little dopamine like ah see there he is his antenna but I wonder, I'm going to ask you guys the question, like, like instead of having these big amorphous, crazy goals, like you say, like when I was at Alta Vista, dude, we would work and work and work and work and work, change a direction, end, project. And then, and what I learned there was, it's, 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 what am I doing right now? What am I doing right this second? I'm making a flow chart for a product that probably will never see the light, but I'm going to do a dang good job of it, put my name on it. So maybe that's my question to you guys. How can you how can you make the, the, the it smaller so everybody's getting their hits of dopamine and oxytocin throughout the day? Your joyride rules are uh, process goals, not outcome goals. It's like you're you're going to do the thing, and you're going to be successful when you do the thing, and you're not actually promising anything about the outcomes that it produces. They do produce outcomes because they're a good set of rules. It's a little bit like, you know, writing every day or something uh, where you're not trying to sit down and write a book. You're trying to you know move forward on something by just getting the words out. Did I get some words out? I was successful. Totally. Like all writers say that, right? Just be, the, be at the desk. 
And when the muse hits, you're there and you have the skill set to capture it. Right. Um, but maybe that's kind of it. Like, like is trying to create, make each moment a complete moment and, and, and a, uh, what's the word I want? A, uh, not entering an intrinsically pleasurable experience. Mm-hmm. Right. What do you think, Peter? Um, I'm thinking about the tension between trying to make every moment or interaction pleasurable and what we talked about earlier with being more comfortable with discomfort, because I think there are times when we have to have the hard conversation and we need to bring this up and we need to say what's true to us. And uh, there, I think there are ways that you can do that in a way that's still of service to other instead of service to self. Um, but it's not always super pleasurable in that moment. You do have to recognize that there is an, an end goal, a longer term out goal, that if I don't say this now, it's going to eat me up or it's going to hurt other people. So that's, that's what I'm kind of noodling on. I don't know if I have an answer. You're not making it pleasant. You're making it good. Yeah, that, thank you. And so thank you. Maybe we got three decent brains here. I struggle with the language that we have, good, bad. Right. And, and, and of course, running is not always quote pleasant, is it? No, but it's always good. So, so, so maybe, maybe that's it. Like to try to make sure that whatever we're doing is taking us in a direction we all want to go. And like you said, like, and like Richard said, like, and maybe sometimes we have to do these intervals of hard conversations, but with the, with, with the understanding that remember, like, like we have all these different states of feeling. And, and again, I'm sorry, all we have is the language we have. So I'm going up, down, you know, but like, like we all identify with this as fun, right? We all love this. This is what we live for. And anything below this line of stasis, we consider bad, but just, just like, these mind states have use. Like when I'm up here, I'm frenetic, I'm disorganized, I'm highly, highly creative. Woo, it's fun, but I'm not process oriented. And that's not the time for me to bang through a bunch of work emails, right? So if I go do a camp for three days and I spend three days in this state, just, just, just at one with the universe doing the thing, I'm going to be equally down the next three days. That's just how it works, man. And then, and, and then to not judge that as bad or depressed. And I didn't know this as a young man. I go win some huge race on Sunday and Monday was a low day. And I thought my life sucked and I had the wrong job. No, bro, you're out of dopamine. That's what that is, right? And so maybe we have a, we have a way to celebrate, hey, here we all are. Okay. We all worked really hard last week to make that deadline. We're all beat. This is a good time to have a nice quiet planning session. Is that fair to say? And understand that this is not, it's just different. Yeah. The, the term that's coming to me for the dip is like a good dip is peace and quiet. And, and that phrase is said kind of flippantly a lot. Oh, I need some peace and quiet. No, but like if you had real peace and real quiet for a few days, that's not high energy. It might not even feel positive at first, like we were talking about earlier because of the mindless pursuit of pursuit, right? I can't pursue anything right now because I don't have the energy. Therefore, something's broken. But if, right. I, if I were to think of that as now is a time of peace and, and, and quiet and recovery, then, then I might be able to frame that differently. 
right? Just to, to have a different perspective on it. I think there's something to that, right? And and like I, you know, I'm a, I'm all about bike analogies. We all love to jump through the air. You're weightless, but all of the propulsion and drive comes from the trough, all of it. And and in a very literal way, the more aggressively you drive into the down state, the more you own that, the more you generate power through that, the lighter you get. Like that's just straight up Newtonian mechanics. And, and wouldn't it be cool though? Like if we, no, I'm not going to say wouldn't it because I'm on a mission. I look forward to normalizing these sorts of conversations. I look forward to giving people the language and the just kind of the habits to say, how was today? Every day's, I don't, even, I don't even like the word good. We'll call it good. Really? Was everything perfect? No. Like we had some dark. We, Richard and I had a tough conversation, but it led a new place. And like, and like, okay, I'm asking a question. Here's, I have a vision. We have this simultaneous, this bifurcation of timeline. I'm using big words. On one hand, we can thin slice, can't we? And we can go as thin as we need to to get success, no matter what it is. And on the other hand, we can go way, 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 way out in time scale and see the overall flow and understand that every little dip and dippy dippy dip is going to be amortized and flattened out over time. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about... Um... I'm not, I'm not looking for a pleasurable moment. I'm not looking for a pleasurable day or, or even a fun day. I'm looking for a meaningfully human day or a mm. meaningful, hu meaningfully human moment. Yes. And then it can be, it can be tense and fraught and full of fear, or it can be joyous and energetic and, and full of connection. Both of those really define human experience. It's, oh, it's, the, it's the poles, right? How high can you jump? How low can you trough? Totally, totally. And, and, and I know that like, I mean, I've been in companies, it's like, I mean, the people setting the quarterly goals might not see the universe that way. But like what, what I tried to tell when I was at that company, I was like, look, you guys are all here. I wish the CEO wasn't in the room, honestly. He's like, he's dragging them all back in. You know, he wants them all in his office. And I'm all, you're all here for whatever reason. You know, like you can, it can be highly unpleasant or it can be useful to you, right? And so just conduct yourself like you're saying. I like it. Would you say a meaningful human moment? Is that what you say? Yeah, meaningfully human. Meaningfully human moment, dude. Right. And that includes laughing and crying. I, I was with a guy just, I had a meeting just before this guy was coming on the team, my, my age, our age. And, you know, I'm talking to the guy and this is what happens when I talk to people. Um, yeah, <laughs> the armor came off. He put his sword and armor on the table and had the cry he'd been eating. Right. And he was like apologizing. I was like, do you laugh? Yeah. <laughs> then why can't you cry, bro? <laughs> like, what the heck? You know, they go together, man. I love it. Meaningful human. I love that. Meaningfully human. Mm. Gorgeous. It, it, and, and like, yeah. And so like, I just got to share this. So like in terms of effectiveness, right? I'm a, I'm a mountain bike racer. I was one. And it's all time. That's the metric. How fast you go from A to B down some crazy trail. And Richard, I think you've ridden Hall Ranch before, right? Up in Lyons. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, the, the front side, the rocky part. Um. I used to have the king of the mountain. I was the fastest person on that downhill years and years ago. 
like in my mid thirties. Well, la- two seasons ago, I went after doing some big personal work and I went in just joy and loving me with no shoulder joints and I'm faster now, <laughs> straight up faster now, effortlessly faster now. And, and what I'm discovering is that the, the power isn't here. This is minuscule. This is minuscule, and and I feel like one of the one of the missions here is to is to use this for what it's useful for, which is not that much, honestly, and then release it. And I think we're deathly afraid. People, I'm going to use the first person plural. People like us who have forged our our place in this universe through intellect, right? It's pretty scary to let it go, right? And, and it becomes our identity and becomes our safety. Like I'm the smartest, I, I'll admit it. I, I've had to be the smartest guy in the room for too long. Over it, over it. I'm not, I'm not. Um, but if we can let that go, then we can start to really realize our power, right? You know, and, and I think really like in a cre- any, any sort of creative pursuit, writing software, come up with some kind of business solution. We all know, does, does the solution come when people are beating themselves up at the meeting room? It's in the shower. It's on the run. How is this version of you showing up in in your work hours these days, Lee? Well, when I show up to be a bike coach now, you know one thing I don't have anymore? I don't bring a bike. Hmm. I don't bring a bike. I don't even bring one. We're not here for you to see how good I am at biking. Let me be clear. I loved going, watch this, check this out. Yeah. Unnecessary. And it gets in the way. So that's one way. I don't even have a bike. Okay. I got to stop you there. Uh, Sorry? I, I want to hear the, the rest of the answer to this question, but can you tell us about that transition? Like how, how did you start leaving the bike behind and what had to happen in you to be able to do that? <laughs> and maybe in your clients. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Well, here's the real answer, right? Here's two answers. Here's the, the good one, the good one, the juicy one. I set up a set of principles in my mind and in my heart that, that said, when you are the national champion, When you beat all these alpha bros over here, you are going to be the mega alpha bro and you will be safe and you will be valid. Right? And I did it. And I went to Worlds that year and I made one little mistake. I wasn't ready to hear the announcer say I was on the winning time and I made a little mistake. But if I go again, I'm going to be like, of course I'm on a winning time. I'm Lee freaking McCormick. <laughs> Why are you even telling people? We all know it. But, you know, I wasn't there. I wasn't there yet. And so, like, it's the fallacy. It's, it's the pursuit of the false god. Honestly, it's like how many people have said, I got to make 100, which is nothing anymore, 100K. And they get there like, I'm still miserable. 200K. It's like that CEO I work with. He's just mad that he only has 190 employees, not 1,000. He's mad at that. And so it's like I achieved what I thought was going to make everything awesome. And guess what wasn't awesome? Everything. It just wasn't. Right? And then, and then I started to fall apart. 
And you, I personally, and this is archetypal, this is the hero's journey, man. It's been done a million times through history. I had to suffer. I had to realize that wasn't going to work. I had to live in the, in the, in the, the hole that was left. And I'm a lucky guy because I was able to get through it with love power intact and maybe even more powerful than ever. And then to start to see that, you know what it is? Once you've done a hundred mile foot race, right? Peter, you're like, damn, I can do anything, right? Yeah. It's pretty hard. A hundred mile bike race is hard, but you get to sit down and coast, bro. You know, <laughs> he's way worse. But you know, and it's like that experience of like, I have looked into the chasm. I have looked into the darkest of my darkness. The thing I was most terrified of, the thing I completely built my existence around staying away from. And guess what? It didn't hurt. I'm okay. And you know what else? It's actually a source of infinite strength. And I think, I think honestly, that's kind of where it gets to the point of like, yeah, I can corner. If you want to see me corner, I'll show you. But it's not essential. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. And I'll tell you another thing. When I was in the hole, when I was at the darkest of the darkness, and I'll, I'm not shy. I'll talk, tell anyone anything they want to know about what that means. I made a promise. I was raised as a Catholic, so I see I call God right now the Holy Oreo and amorphous because no one's offended by that. But I saw the white bro with the beard and the robe, the one I grew up with. And I said to him, I said, okay, man, now I'm desperate. Now I'm begging for help. Is this archetypal or what? <laughs> it's laughably common, the story I'm going to tell. And I said, all right, man, if you help me through this, I promise I will dedicate my life to spreading the word. I've made the promise. I'm going to do my darndest to keep it. So, so then you, like, again, like you, you were just been like relieved of your armor and weapons. And, and, and I feel like it, it came to a point where I'm like, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. And I'm way more effective at serving when I'm not trying to show off. Well, yeah. And uh, it reminds me of like um, when, when somebody loses a sense, somebody goes blind, somebody goes deaf, the other senses get heightened. And as a coach, like we have all these different skills that we're kind of dancing between to say, what skill do I need to bring forward right now? What needs to go to the background a little bit right now? And I could see how being able to demonstrate it on the bike, A, taps into that ego hit, but B, that, that might cause you to use that when one of the other skills would have been better and you wouldn't have even known it. That's why you make the big bucks, Peter Green. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So now I'm out there with no bike. And you know what I have now? I have running shoes. And instead of riding from place to place, I run. Right? And slow, you know, I run, I jog. We'll call it a jog right now, right? You're right. And so I'm, I'm trying to like express this kinesthetic, kinetic thing with words and with feeling. And, and you're right. It makes me work harder, but it's effective. And I, I went out to the East Coast and I coached over two days, 50 people. I didn't bring a bike. No one missed it. No one missed it. You're right. Well played. And then the second answer. To, Bang on. To, 
Hang on. Uh, I, I noticed a self self deprecation there, Lee. I want to call you out on it. What did I say? Because it's one that that I used for a couple of years when I started running. When when I'd be out in all my gear, about to run eight miles, and somebody and somebody would say, "Oh, you're a runner," I would say, "No, I'm not a runner. I'm a stubborn jogger." Because I wasn't comfortable with the identity of I'm a runner. And I just heard you say, I, I go out there and run. You say, no, 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 I jog. Ah, okay. Thank you, coach. You're running. Own Thank it. you. Thank you. Thank you. See, we all need a coach, dude. We all were. In, I didn't even notice it. See, yeah. you're right. I'm running. I'm running. And my legs right. don't hurt. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I need okay. that. Clearly. Reason two. I'm all right. My shoulders are destroyed. Destroyed. They're done. Like I, I, I went and saw the doctor and he was like, he was so funny. He walks in, he'd seen the films of these completely destroyed shoulders. Like the balls on the top of the humerus aren't round. They're just like barely there. It's, he walks in, he sees me sitting there in shape. He goes, so where's the patient? And the PA is like right there. He's like, what? <laughs> and he showed, and, 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 and I saw, and it was, I knew I'd worn them out. I knew they were bad, but you guys, when you see the film, when you see that you have <laughs> worn over an inch of bone off each side, because let's be clear, my friends, that hurt less than the emotional stuff I couldn't deal with at the time. That's staggering. And I swore I would never do that to myself again. And, and the last race I did, and it turned out, by the way, so this collarbone has been broken for 20 years. And it turns out that the broken shards are buried in the trapezius muscle with the, the nerves wrapped around them, turns out. So I can be forgiven for being a little achy sometimes. <laughs> and, and I was doing this 50-mile race last summer on July 4th. And I was up there, and I had expectations, like, to win. I was doing it with, with a teammate. I expected to put him on the podium. And I'm out there, and it started to hurt you guys. I didn't know exactly what the structure was doing, but let me just tell you, like we're all athletes. We know pain. That's another level. And I'm out there. I'm by myself climbing this mountain around 10,000 feet. It's starting to rain. And I'm like, I'm in extreme physical pain and I'm highly disappointed in myself. I was like, that's not a good way to spend the rest of the day, is it? Nope. So what's here? What am I missing? <laughs> right? And it came through. It's like, Lee, you're a tough bro. You're tough. Boy, you can withstand anything. From now on, you will never use that capacity to hurt yourself ever again. You will use that capacity to do the hard things to serve self, other, all. Talk about our size, man. You went up to the mountain. I know it's classic. <laughs> it's classic. <laughs> it's classic. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like I'd love to say this is an original story, but it's not, man. Um, it's not an original story. It's been done. <laughs> so you're you know, you're out coaching without a bike. You're coaching <laughs> bikers without a bike. What else? What else are you doing? Uh, I'm Ripro. So I invented this piece of equipment. In the beginning, it was to teach. Well, it was for myself because I was losing use of my shoulders to understand how bikes should fit bodies and to really deeply understand the biomechanics. So Richard has one. He uses one. I do. I love it. And it's, it's a beautiful tool. And that's where it came from. But very much like the way a Concept 2 rowing machine was invented for rowers, but it's become a staple in gyms everywhere. 
the Ripro is also, it's a full chain functional universal movement trainer. It has a row phase and an anti-row phase. When you row, it's your full posterior chain, everything as a unit, hands, butt, back, core, everything. And the opposite, it's it's everything in the front of your body. So it's a full body workout. And and I and I and and because the movements, I mean you can do it really basically or very complicatedly. I I invented it, so I'm pretty good at it. And I'm I'm deep and it's 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 a it's I, I consider it kind of an embodiment tool. I'm not going to do an app anytime soon. I want people to feel their bodies and it's full chain. And so what we're doing is I just, oh yeah, you guys appreciate this. So I've done agile development for a long time in software, right? When I started Ripro, I started with the agile philosophy, right? I had the idea. I had actually a dream. I had the flu in this cheap motel with the AC off in Tucson, Arizona, 120 degrees in there. And I think God was like, okay, it's time to give this guy, throw this guy a treat. And he showed me the vision, pretty much. I think I'd suffered enough and I was given the, the insight. And so the first, the first prototype was just a metal plate with an arm that went back and forth, like a handlebar. You might have probably seen it. I'm sure you I probably showed it to you, Richard. Yeah, you yeah. used it. It was no, just I have a it was MVP. of Don using it in her full downhill gear when we were joking about training like your race. Yeah, I don't remember totally. how that happened, but I remember the picture. That was straight MVP, and it made the point. Ooh, this makes sense. Then I'm like, well, I need to add resistance, so I started adding bands, and I'd attach it to like something in the garage. And as I became stronger, I would go flying across the room. <laughs> yeah. So then. Version three, this is my favorite one. I was at the hardware store at McGuckin's. It's like a Hayes hardware. I'm like, they must have something in here that's useful. I saw garage door springs all hanging there. I was like, oh, yeah. So it's an eight-foot-long contraption with carabiners and stuff. And you use, no kidding, a garage door spring for resistance. Super agile, right? And then I went to the same idea but smaller using rubber bands. And then we lost agile. And I brought in a designer. And we kind of lost it and he made it awesome and beautiful and expensive and hard to make. And, and the retail on that thing was 1600 bucks and we sold about a thousand of them. Good for us. But I said to myself, this is a beautiful tool. It serves people because my role is to serve. That's my job. This is one of the ways I serve is creating this material machine. So we went back to the drawing board. I don't know what you call this reverse agile development. And I said, okay, what features are necessary? What aren't? And I redesigned it. And V2, my friends, has reduced the retail from $15.99. I'm happy to tell you the new one is $8.49, half the price. Same margin. So we're like getting that dial. We've, we just finished the first production run. The first few hundred I built in my garage, I can't do that anymore. So we go from production facility to a 3PL, third-party logistics. We're working all this out, and now we're getting ready to go big. Man, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's time for me to get paid on this little <laughs> project. Ooh. It's been eight years. It's just been an uncomfortable uh, hobby <laughs> for eight years, and um, I've been doing that. And then the coaching um, is changing. I'm doing more and more like um, I have an on. Oh, we talked about this at, at the first humanizing work I went to, remember? I was in your class because I wanted to make an online mountain bike school, which was a very new concept at the time. And then Richard helped me kind of like MVP it. And I did the proof of concept. Guess what? It's proven. Mm. So it's time to refactor it and make it better. 
it's been paying the bills while I'm not butting off the bike. That's happening. And I've got like books and books and books coming out of my brain, through my brain. So I'm working on bros right now. This is going to be about male kind of bro culture, honestly. You know, that's what I'm up to. And trying to be, um, no, not trying, sorry. Working vehemently to be the cleanest version of myself I can be. Lee, where can people find you and your work online if they want more? At LeeLikesBikes.com is easy. It's all, it's all, it all comes from there. Yep. Lee, thank you. You guys are welcome. That was a great chat. You guys asked the best questions. Thank you. Namaste.